This is a test of the Boundary Park Alert System. Hello and welcome to the Boundary Park Alert System with me, Matt Dean, flying solo for the introduction ahead of the second part of our Darren Royal interview that we started last week. I was supposed to be chatting with Andy about the point on the road yesterday. He was there as one of the uh, Oasis lot, Um, but he's had a domestic appliance failure, which has required his full and immediate attention. Uh, My other partner in crime, Dave Bradley, is currently travelling back from Twickenham after spending the weekend watching the rugby, um, playing drinking games and presumably enjoying supper with people called Henry and Rupert. So, before we get stuck into the Latics stuff... This happened yesterday. Today, I have uh, very strong feelings. I can tell you that. Today, I feel uh, Qatari. Today, I feel Arab. Today, I feel African. Today, I feel uh, gay. Today, I feel disabled. Today I feel uh, a migrant worker. I feel this. 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 So this week sees the start of probably the most controversial and underwhelming World Cup in history. I've never felt less excited about a World Cup starting. Normally, this tournament is something to look forward to after enduring another mediocre season watching Latics. It keeps football going through the summer when we complement our our usually misplaced belief that football is coming home with barbecues and beer gardens and sunburn. But today... I feel corruption, self-interest and hypocrisy have gone to new levels in the game we love. Today, I feel the interests of the few have been put ahead of the needs of the many, again. And today, I feel the hellish realisation that I will have to endure the misery of watching both Oldham and England simultaneously fail me over the Christmas period. Joy to the world. I'm going to watch the tournament though because I'm not going to let these things spoil my enjoyment of the game itself. I love watching the World Cup. All that football, all those weird random games, even Qatar v Ecuador, the first one. it's, It's just great. It's a great tournament usually. But I think it's time now more than ever for football to seriously look itself in the mirror and for us to really question what the game is about. So the day after our boozy victory at the Northwest Football Awards, we were invited, myself and Dave, along to the newly reinstated Little Wembley by Latic CEO Darren Royal. Uh, being the professional that he is, Dave actually turned up uh, and recorded these brief interviews with Darren and, first of all, the groundsman, Dean Pickering. Tell us what you've done to get Little Wembley up and running again. It's not fantastic. It's had, obviously, the club lost it for, for two years. Um, so it was rugby, rugby trained on here for for a little while so it wasn't in really good nick um, I, I came here probably five, six weeks now myself so we, the club decided to just try and get it up and running just just use it it's not fantastic but right, look, it looks it looks brilliant if I'm honest with you and it's just great to see like a, a little training complex next to the ground what does that mean for the club? 
Oh, it's brilliant. It's a fantastic site. It's, for the football club to have a facility like this, it's one more pitch. It's, for, for a ground staff point of view, it's perfect. Spread the weight for young lads as well. Um, but no, they've done, done, I mean, spent over £11,000 on it in, in five weeks. It's, it's a brilliant investment. And just a scarification, top dress overseed, and just regular maintenance, uh, fertiliser programme, just keeps it ticking over. It's just another little bit of the foundations that are being built by the uh, the new owners, isn't it? And I think it's just really reassuring from a bit from your point of view to see this uh, being invested in yeah, so heavily. There's, there's a lot of plans as well in summer. This is this isn't half of it in terms of stadium investment in the summer, um, Chapel Road. There's a lot of things the club want to do. Just you know, it's, everything takes a while. We're, we're getting there, slow, slow steps, and like I said, stuff like this is it's a massive, it's a massive moving forward in it. From <laughs> cheers, Dean. Thanks very much, mate. I'm just here with Darren Royal at Little Wembley. What does it mean to get this back up and running, Darren? It means everything. It's a, it's a huge, I think it's a huge statement to get the, the place open, to get the academy back on here. Um, sun is shining and um, the, the surface isn't perfect uh, by any means. Junior would tell us that, but it's, um, you know, it's better than it's been for a long time. So, yeah, really good. So it's just another little bit of the foundations being rebuilt. Is it, is it just little steps, marginal gains every week at this at the club now? Because it's like six, three months you've been here now, isn't it? And yeah. you can see the improvements day by day. I think it, with the, with the infrastructure, firstly, before we talk about the football, it, it, it is it's um, prioritising what needs to be done, and there's a lot to be done. So um, this is an obvious one. It's get get football back on Little Wembley. It's right next to the stadium. Um, we want to open it up. If it's if it's safe to do so to the to the uh, the trust um, and and um, the young kids to come on and have a game at some point if we can if we can do that so um, infrastructure side there's a pile of stuff to go through we'll probably talk more in depth about it on the podcast but um, you know the football side it's always said right from the start um, on the day we announced and took over we need patience we need time. Um, it's going to be, um, you know, a, a good chunk of time to get things where, not just where um, us and the supporters want it, but where the players and the staff want it as well. So, you know, um, it's hard. I know we all we're all desperate to see the team win, and when we do, it's great to celebrate it. But as I said, we're all working our socks off. We're looking at how we can improve ourselves with the the. Um, the squad but also you know bring a few new faces in so but they've got to be the right faces yeah we have been struggling with injuries you might be needing to get your boots on will we be seeing a Darren Royal appearance on Little Wembley anytime soon um, if you do then it's, it is quite worrying I think um, I think I've been described as slower than a weekend in jail so um, probably not brothers no well, it could be worse. You might be seeing me with my boots on. So, yeah. Anyway, cheers, Darren. It'd be great. It'd be great to see Matt Dean at all. I mean, he's he's obviously living the high life again, and he's he's recovering from another night out. But yeah. hopefully, we'll see him soon. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's uh, like catching smoke sometimes, Mister Dean. But yeah, definitely. Yes, elusive. Yeah. <laughs> Always leave them wanting more. That's what I say. Anyway, speaking of more, that leads us nicely to the second part of our interview uh, with Darren. Don't forget to join us on Wednesday live on YouTube for the Lattice Football Phone In uh, to discuss the point at Maidstone uh, and then the games that we've got coming up against Solihull and Boreham Wood. But until then, thanks again to Darren and here he is continuing to tell us about the infrastructure that they've been working on at the club since they arrived this summer. First of all, the management and coaching structure which the club's not had for such a long time. Um, 
highly qualified, successful people that are ambitious, results driven. Um, and that's not just the manager and his coaching staff. You know, that's also um, head of recruitment, uh, scouting infrastructure. So there was nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're starting from scratch in terms of, you know, our ability to do that, which we've put in place now. Yeah, Steve um, Thompson. Steve Thompson. Then there was, we've not announced it. We should announce it. Um, but we've just been doing stuff. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, on over the weekend, there were seven games which were scouted. Um, so that just shows you our intensity and our intent um, in, in terms of looking to help support and improve the squad. So, you know, that side of it. But then there's all the other side of it as well that we've invested in, which is, you know, sports science, strength conditioning, medical, performance psychology. We've created a new space where the players are going to um, have, have breakfast and and lunch every day because it's important to control what goes into the bodies um, and also a space where um, it's a performance analysis, um, pre-match, post-match analysis area. Um, and really the, the, the best thing that happened at, at Bromley wasn't the result, obviously. We were you know, really sore after the game. But one thing about the, the chief executive at that club was he demonstrated great uh, humility and he also showed us the hard work and um, resilience that they've gone through. They've, they're six years, I think, into a plan now. Um, they've got their education business in full full flow. They've got 38 teams um, that they've set up in their pyramid that play um, into the community and up to from participation up to actually sub-elite and elite level. Um, so one of the things that, that myself and Frank uh, and Judith saw on the after the game, we went we went to look at their facilities to see what we could learn from them. Um, and it was their their sports science, their performance but, analysis. But the people space. listening that are horrified. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Well, we, we, well, we had we had this on on the podcast on the previous episode. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the people's response to it was, um, "We're all athletic. Why are we learning stuff on Bromley?" Mm-hmm. And and I think that the concept, the understanding, has to be just how little of that had gone on be, before Oldham, and 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 you just described. You know, we shouldn't be ashamed of. of Accepting no. the fact that that Bromley have invested in that and, and done a good job, so it, it leads me nicely onto the question: What you know? Obviously, you've had a you've had another job in football as a chief executive of another football club. So what have you learned from either that role or speaking to other football clubs that you've you've had experience of being involved with in any capacity that you can bring to this role? You know, what, what else do you know that, that, that we need to do? Yeah, so I was I was chair uh, exec chair at. at uh, at Wigan, not chief exec. Um, okay. The I think the what I've already said there in terms of the football side of the business, it's uh, getting right uh, in terms of recruitment is 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 really really essential. And we have a wealth of information nowadays out there publicly, but also with Y Scout um, as as one example. Um, most of the championship and Premier League clubs use StatsBomb, which is probably one of the, the biggest and best analytical tools going. Um, so if you look at two of the clubs in the in in the Premier League, which are great examples, Brentford and Brighton, they're both 
models and business models based on player trading. Um, they recruit their players first, firstly statistically, um, casting a, a wide net. Um, they'll then have a high level of QC on them in their scouting infrastructure for um, actually going physically to see players because you can't pick up everything from stats. You can't rotational head movement. There's there is actually a, a guy who's done an automated tracking um technology on rotational head movement which the best midfielders in the world you know look around the pitch more often than lesser players basically it's yeah. it's field vision um but there's things that you can't pick up statistically you can't pick up you could probably pick up cer certain elements through a personality test but you can't really until you know people mm. and you've done your research and background which sarah sir alex ferguson pioneered and other successful managers you know know the person as well um, so having that recruitment model and having all the information, objective information on the table and having people scouted is really important. Um, that's, that's the key to the business. It's probably worth mentioning. You, you, you have been involved, haven't you previously in, in stats related businesses? Yeah. So that, that's, well, that's why you, you, you come at this with it with, it might be worth just explaining that background a little bit. Yeah. So I, I, I worked for the early pioneers. Um, I was European business manager for Prozone. So Prozone were the original um, performance analysis company um, set up in Leeds. And if at its at its peak, Prozone had cameras in every Premier League stadium, worked for every Premier League club, every championship club, every League One club, where you had physical data from the live tracking cameras in the stadium and you had event data. So you knew crosses, shots, headers, for, forward runs, but you also had this unique insight into the athlete as well, um, which was total distance covered, acceleration, deceleration, body loads that gave you a whole picture. Um, and then, so I, I, I worked there, I set up um, uh, league-wide deals in Europe with, with other leagues, with Prozone. It was a wonderful experience. Um, my, my, the way I look at things, there's two and a half thousand events um, that could be generated through the technology in each game, but I wanted to see the which means that button. Mm. So you'd press it and it'd actually tell you something. So there is a risk that you can get lost in stats. Yeah. Stats needs to be something that's inferential. It tells you, you know, or it reconfirms something that you're looking to find. Um, now it's gone a different level again, statistics wise. It's um, it's predictive in terms of stuff it's ai which the clubs are using um I, I then set up a company with the professor of technology from insead the guy called nils rudy his brother petter rudy played for sheffield wednesday when paolo di canio yeah. famously pushed over the referee yeah. the rep Paul Durkin. was it paul Durkin? no it wasn't no. Paul Durkin. i can't remember because he was the red-headed lad he was yeah i can't remember his name so so the, those guys and if you look at, at, at molder Obviously, yeah. it doesn't take you too long to realise, you know, the success that they've enjoyed. Um, and Norwegian footballers, of which obviously we all remember Gunnar Haller. Yeah. Um, so that that was more around um, predictive analytics and uh, how that can be applied. Um, so Nils knows uh, Matthew Benham at, yeah. at Brentford. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we gained an insight into how they use and apply statistics in terms of recruitment yeah. uh, performance analysis pre-match analysis 
so that that side of it's been obviously quite uh, revolutionary in the last 10 years. Yeah, well, we, we interviewed Brentford for our mm -hmm. podcast and we got uh, one of their board directors uh, who's a former uh, ITN chief exec who was very, very uh, eloquent and qualified and certainly he explained it exactly you know, how that sort of worked and the relationship they have. So that, you know, we know what a great business model is. So is that something, you, given you have such a very specific background in that space, you have some experiences of working uh, at, at Wigan where you presumably employed some, is that something we're gearing to do? Yeah. yeah, so we've 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 got um, somebody in the analyst space, yeah. um, statistical analysis, uh, and then we've also got a performance analysis as well, okay. who's working daily with uh, the coaching staff yeah. around pre-match analysis, opposition analysis, um, and post-match analysis as well. Yeah. Which again, you know, that that infrastructure wasn't in place. But if you go to um, the really good example of Bromley, yeah. that's what they're doing. Right. Um, you, you know, most, if not all of the clubs in the National League have that. It's not like we're being innovators here. We're just catching up, we're with, catching up. with teams in the National League. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of the, the, the best thing about the visit with after the game at Bromley was, it was to allow Frank to see, actually, you know, this yeah. is a six-year... Yeah. plan that they've got um and these are the facilities that they've got that we haven't yeah so i mean it's, it's all about momentum and it forward momentum and backwards momentum or downwards and upwards whichever way and we've been off we've been struggling for a long long time haven't we and our momentum has been going the wrong way and you've got teams like probably and, and other teams in this level that are playing at the highest they've ever played at and because because everything's going right for them <laughs> yeah. and there's reasons for that isn't it in the same way that there's reasons why things have been going badly for us um, and it's, it's it's we tried to say this but with Abdallah, didn't we? Look in the mirror and acknowledge where you are, and just acknowledge that, and then take it from there. And that's I think there's still people amongst our fan bases that be struggling to do that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I mean, this all sounds incredibly positive from my point of view. You talk about recruitment; it's not just about recruiting players, is it? The whole club has to be recruited with the right people to facilitate that working. It, otherwise, it's just. I mean, we've seen it over and over again with the amount of people that have come through the club oh, that have been wrong for those positions yeah, and how that. You, you, yeah, you, they're, they're not added. I mean, just to ask that question, the interesting, you know, that's news to me. Most National League clubs are, have got, presumably, some of the smaller ones haven't because they won't have the budgets. Um, but, but a lot of National League clubs, presumably, therefore, when we're in League Two, most League Two clubs had them and we were the, the ones that stuck out like a sore thumb. Hence, part of the reason we get relegated because we're, we're not keeping pace with everybody else. Yeah, I think, I think um, we 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 did have Y Scout, um, but it's more around the application of it, the the staff and the the facilities. Um, you know, simply so the we need to probably call on Matt's creative genius to come up with a name for it. But the O2 Lounge, I know he's acknowledging that he's not saying no. Oh. Um, he's just nodding. Sir. Yeah, he's nodding. Yeah. Um, so the the uh, that space now it's all been hollowed out into one big room. It's quite an inspirational space. It's the best view in the stadium, isn't it? Looking mm, over the pitch, be, yeah, yeah. and that's that's going to be where you know the the team meet, and that's getting more towards the modern facilities that a lot of the other clubs in the national league have that we don't have. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just eye-opening to hear, isn't it? You know, I'm, I'm conscious of the time. I was looking down my uh, my 
unbelievably long list of questions on business, <laughs> and I'm thinking we probably should do some football here. So I'm going to try and segue here. Um, uh, obviously, um, recruitment of David Unsworth is you, you can see, uh, you can see the connection. You know, your dad worked in Everton. He's a highly, highly qualified coach with highly qualified coaches that have come with him. So from a from a recruitment perspective, you can see why with all the infrastructure around stats departments, uh, scouting, uh, psychology, you know, all the great recruitments that have occurred in the environment stuff. Some fans, not me, <laughs> but I'm trying to represent those that are listening, would say um, that at our level, um, it, are we going to, are we overanalyzing? Are we getting too complex? Does it need to be more simple? Do, you know, is, is, for instance, David Unsworth, as a as a self-evidently highly qualified coach, he doesn't have an experience of the national league. So there's a there's some quarter of the support base would have said, "Go and get a national league coach who knows the league and get get you out." A bit like Stockport did with Dave Challoner. So what? Maybe could you elaborate on your thinking around why you went down that route instead of the other? Um, our thinking was getting somebody that would buy into uh, the overall vision who could restructure or build a structure because we didn't have one yeah. um, who was successful um, who um, was aligned with that with our vision and the purpose that we've come up with yeah. um, football goals and pitch sizes and the ball size I think it's the same size in the National League as it is in the Premier League and the players all have two legs I think you know what we what we uh, what we don't know and what we were finding out is, you know, the style of play, um, how the game differs between League Two and National League or National League and Championship. There's some, you know, there's some patterns that are starting to emerge, but it comes back to, again, um, recruitment, management and coaching and having the infrastructure in place to do that. So um, I think what's hugely important is... Um, confidence 90 percent of football is above the neck not below the neck mm. everyone can probably get to a similar place where you know we've got most of our players running between 12 and 13k a game at a certain intensity most clubs will be able to do that that's that's a, a process you go through with training in pre-season albeit we've we've had a disruptive pre-season um but i think the uh at some point, you know, things will turn as, as we help the squad that we've got now and develop the squad. And that was the other thing. Um, we've, you know, we've we've got a squad. Um, we've taken over the club and there's a squad there. We need to help that squad get better and improve that squad. So it was also somebody that wasn't just going to come in and recruit another squad because quite clearly, we you know, we can't do that. We have to strengthen the squad, which we're doing now. Um and we will continue to do that. So when you look at the actual job description of someone we needed, um, and when you look at the CVs that come in, he was, you know, a standout. And that's why, as well as the, the, the people that he could bring in to support that infrastructure, um, you know, that's why we're, we're here together. Um, was a lot of that to do with this transition, the B team and, and the academy and his experience with the younger players as well? Because that's obviously something that is vitally important to a club like ours, isn't it? And, and does he ha does he have a good vision of how that's going to work as well as 
the way that maybe you see it. I think you, it, it's got to come down to having um, a, a winner's mentality, first of all. We've got to win football matches. Um, so somebody who's, who's hardworking, somebody who's got humility and somebody who's resilient, you know, those three attributes. And if we look around the successful teams, successful people in football and successful people in business, they've all got that. Um, so then, I think it's being tested with him already early on in just yeah, some of his interviews because it must be. I mean, he, he cares. Finding it hard, where it, some of it, is, yeah. We, we we all we all we all care. We all find it tough. We all, you know, hate losing. And um, but confidence is such an important factor. So we've all got to try and look. I can really understand and appreciate the frustration of supporters, um, and you know everyone's allowed to have their own opinions and negative opinions are there because people are frustrated and they care. Um, we've got to try and find a solution, you know, with recruitment, with coaching. It's a low scoring game based on luck a lot of the time. Um, and when we do start winning and when confidence comes back, um, that is so powerful and it's a, it's a massive thing. And we can see there's there's some players that are, you know, carrying the burden of of, of a relegation still. Mm. Um, we've got to try and help them and, and make them confident. Um, the, the 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 biggest thing is we've got ownership, a board, staff, and players that do care. Um, I think my dad said it's a four letter word, but it means a lot. I, I'm, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'll repeat myself from previous weeks. I, I, I'm quite relaxed about it, still relaxed about it on a personal level. I'm glad you are. Because I can see, <laughs> I, I can see the, I can see the hard work that's going into it. I can see the structure. I can see that it's, it's everything we've been screaming for for the last two years on this podcast and years prior. And but so, uh, even though, Andy, at the end of this <laughs> evening, if results go against us, we could be, you know, even closer to that bottom four. And well, even though all that's really encouraging, there's still it does, like you just said, it, you, your bumps does twitch when you start when you when you realise you are where you I, are. I can't, I, I can't disagree. Yeah. It's unarguable that we're in relegation battle yeah. out of the fifth division. This yeah. is unthinkable. I'm just up, up, but it's unthinkable that, that it shatters up. But it is, it is a fact. That's where we are, and that is, as we've said, and Darren's touched upon, players that are mentally scarred from relegations. The people that we signed were also relegated from their clubs before we signed them. We mentioned that, and some of the recruitment, you know, and name individuals, but hasn't been good enough. But there are overarching reasons why that was the case, um, and obviously you're trying to sign new players now. How difficult is it? to sign new players when you're in a relegation battle in the fifth division. And, you know, uh, we're at, we don't have a transfer window for us, but the Football League does. How difficult is it to, to recruit players at, at, at the minute? And do you think it can change soon so that my expectations are we go on a better run in the, in the new year? Yeah, so I think you, you just to add a further context to before I answer your question, We've also, when David came in, we had 15 bodies in the treatment room. Yeah. Um, one physio who'd done a magnificent job trying to keep ahead above the water. Patching them up like in a field tent. like um, <laughs> And, you know, some top, top players injured. 
Um, so we can't discount, you know, the value of getting some of those top players back from injury, which are coming back now. Um, so that's that's another factor. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so I mean, we signed know, some players that, that that are made of balsa wood, you know, <laughs> which was which we could all see were probably going to be injured two or three times a year because that's their recent history. But yeah, no, I appreciate that's another. And then um, the the other one, Andy was. I remember having a pint after the uh, Chesterfield game with with Luke, and I, I said, "Thank goodness we've we've got Hallam Hope." Yeah, and then that know. bomb bombshell drops, and you're like what's going on you know what on earth you know the poor lad what, what's happened to him mm. um i don't want to sound like i'm not understanding of of the effect it's it, it, in what he's been through it also had a big impact on us because um hallam was you know he was a, a flag bearer wasn't he, he was he was ripping oh, he was player of the season up to that point. And, there's no doubt about that yeah absolutely you know working harder than you know, most players in the league do covering distance and pressing and scoring, scoring goals and just being an all-round top guy. Um, so, you know, I think it's not about us. There's various factors that you know we've we've had we've had, and other clubs will have injury lists. Mm. I think ours was um, extraordinarily high. Whether that was because of a disruptive pre-season, I don't know. It wouldn't have helped in terms of fitness and conditioning for the lads. Um, it's not their fault that the facilities that haven't been available, but it's something that I think helps put a context in, in place. So, you know, moving forwards um, to help the lads that we've got in terms of their own development and the team and, and, and results, then, you know, that process around recruitment that I've described in terms of the team and the process will only help mm. um do you, do you think the market might move when january comes so yeah that, that yeah, we're not restricted by it but the football league clubs players will move in january and therefore some players that may not come to us at this moment in time for a whole catalogue of reasons might actually choose to come to us in january yeah there's there's players that um we've looked at and we've tried to sign that won't be doing anything until january mm. so it's it, the fact that we've not got a transfer window is irrelevant. It's what's your addressable market and how available is that? Yeah. And it's it's not something that we can um, just go out there and decide to do. There are players undoubtedly that that despite the size of the club and how we feel about it, they see it as a, a step back, yeah. dropping out the league. Yeah. So you know we've just we've just had that with someone. Well, the only way to combat that is to. Do a rex minute and pay them more money, which, which none of us particularly want to do. Because I don't think it is the only position. way. No, no, it's not. I mean, Halifax showed that you can get into the playoffs, for example, without. But were there signing players that were prepared to drop down to the national league? It's a different way of doing it, though. Yeah. You said it's the only way. It's not. Oh no, I'm saying the other, what tempting players from higher divisions. What I meant, ah. like, you know, through pay. I mean, obviously, we can recruit players from yeah. recruitment for, is 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 from various sources. Well, we, we you touched upon it before, and I, and I sort of mentally logged it to come back to is if we scouted what six or seven games at the weekend, mm. for example, we've most of our recruitment through the summer until this point has been looking up and recruiting to you know from football league clubs, and. Um, Whereas if you look at the likes of Notts County, Macaulay Langstaff, he looks a fine, doesn't he? Mm. Okay, from Gateshead, National League North. Uh, we interviewed Luton, 
Um, they told us their experiences of five years in this league, Luton, and and and, and they got out of this league by recruit. They, they started recruiting for the football league, didn't work. They looked beneath them. They started well. They, they unearthed Andre Gray for crying yeah. out loud. So you know, it, it, that's that. Presumably, we need to look. We need to look down as well, right? We are doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so my my one of my other passions and, and, and um, background is I've I was. Uh, part of creating a sub elite league so um in in the northern premier league uh the southern league and before the pandemic we were going to do the Isthmian league and the idea was that it would be a sub elite program um almost a cat five program really and the reason behind that was because of the players that have come out of. When you say Cat Five, you're relating that to the Academy Cat One to Four structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if if the PFA looked at it, they'd say, "Well, it's a Cat Five, okay. the the program you, you're looking at," um, because the the Premier League and the EFL is strewn with players that have come through non-league into elite football. Absolutely. Um, Craig Dawson being the nearest recent example to go from Radcliffe Borough to Rochdale. To West Brom, to West Ham, to play for England. Mm. So you know, it's it's an obvious market to to look at. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that's something that gets raised uh, almost regularly, doesn't it? Is is our recruiter from National League North or South or even beneath? So you've answered that question, which is you know great to hear. Um, so, so we've got uh, Steve Thompson as we discussed, and how many scouts is there now? Is there a- so we've got five. Um, scouts that we're going to announce right um, people that have agreed to become involved who are very experienced there's other conversations to have um, and um, you know that's an ongoing piece of work that, that we've got and again we're going from a position also where we're, we're building up a, a a database on you know players that, that are in our addressable market that we've just discussed then um, around that, so it's 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 an ongoing process. Okay, so we'll, we'll hear hear more on scouts. I know Nick Henry's a scout. He, he might do some stuff for us, don't I? Anyway, <laughs> the Nick scout. Henry, the Nick Henry. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, in in t- I guess another thing that might be worth touching upon is, so we are, are we're a cat three, our academy. Yeah, yeah. And Matt touched upon funding. Coming from the EFL, we got parachute payment this year, half next year, nothing the year after. Yeah, that's that's into the football club. Isn't there also funding from the FA, the EFL into academy for a period, and then we and then it will stop being funded? Yeah. How do we how do we continue to fund the Cat Three Academy without that income? Um, do we have to drop drop it down to a Cat Four Academy, or you know what happens to that? Yeah, so if you if if you look at other clubs, Notts County, Tranmere, they've they've had different strategies around that. So Tranmere pulled out of the E Triple P, whereas other clubs stayed in for the two years, didn't get promoted, and then they've had another incarnation of a of a youth system. So we're already having those conversations um, with the academy, you know, about contingency plans. Yeah. I'm also speaking to. I've got a meeting next week with. Uh, the chief executive LFE, League Football Education, and also I'm speaking to the director of academies for the EFL. My view is at the moment um, that if you look at the fan-led football review, 
Tracy Crouch's report and the recommendations from that on player welfare. 99% of players at 16 get released. Mm-hmm. 85% of players at 18 get released. So 15% of 1% get retained. Mm-hmm. What happens to all those other players? Mm-hmm. And what job are we doing to help um, the fallout from that and the impact of that on them and their families? Um, we've got a, uh, a Cap 3 Academy that's on the whole... Um, it's, it's had some um, downside from what's happened to the club in re- previous years, but because it's EFL funded, it's got a structure, it's got some incredible people that have been there a long time and it's produced players, names that we all know. Yeah. Most recently, you know, uh, Harry and Benny, who are, you know, who are in the first team squad. Mm-hmm. So my view is with that, with also um, there was a, a DCMS review um, with the chief executive of the PFA and the operational chair of the PFA on the 8th of February this year that again highlighted there's a need for more clubs with academies, not less, right. and uh, a system to help players. You know, we should, um, well, we should and we are um, speaking to the authorities around, well, you know, actually allowing this academy to go away and die um, is crazy at the yeah. moment. So, you know, that's certainly something that is part of my my day job I'm working on. If things stayed as they are and, and the funding was withdrawn, then we would have a different model in place. Um, and it's what I alluded to you before around full-time education, the multi-sport full-time education model, but that would allow us to operate from a, uh, a 16 to 18 full-time um, with our B team and with the first team. Okay. And that's... You know, half the funding goes at the end of this year. All of it goes at the end of. So we've got to have another plan in place, which we're, we're working on. Okay, I mean, is the, is it, that I think highlights a the necessities to try and get up the league and get out of it, so we can so we can ensure that, that continues, and also for people to understand that there is an intention to want to keep the academy. Yeah, that's what you're saying. Ultimately, I think we all feel the same. You know, you you, you, you know, we've got. Like you said, Harry Junior, Benny are all in the first team squad at the minute. But you know, in the not too recent past, we had people like Tom Hamer come through the the the, the academy system. You know, uh, James Tarkowski that was picked up when he was releasing Blackburn at a young age. Which leads me on to another question, which is, he, in the recent past, my opinion, and whether everyone would agree, but we've just sold our assets far too cheaply when they've been. They've had the potential, you know, James Tarkowski was sold for about 350 grand to Brentford. But I know from speaking to the guy at Brentford that the, the, sell-on, for, the sell-on clause was sold for, for a, a bag of peanuts and could have been cashed in for millions of pounds later. And Tom Hamer went to Burton for about 30 grand. Now, the circumstances of that are very different. But if we have an academy that is bringing free talent, and it will do, uh, are we going to be able to monetize those assets better for the betterment of the club in the in the long term, so we have to accept we're a selling club, right? So we've got to try and bring players through and then sell them for decent money. Yeah. So great question. So in terms of our beliefs, a successful academy is foundational to the sustainable future of the club. That's one of our core beliefs, okay. and it's down there in our purpose. Okay. So you know what the academy looks like will be dependent on the funding model. We might fund our own Cat Three Academy and keep it as it is, or we might go to a different model like Brentford did. Um, so that's that's planning that's on underway, and that's said conversations that are happening. In terms of 
you know, are we going to be in a position to sell players at a market value? It comes back to how, you know, how much is a glass of water worth in the desert? Mm. You know, how desperate are you? And not to be desperate is the best place to be. Absolutely. Um, So that comes back to the purpose and the business model, match day, non-match day revenue, um, not being reliant, not gambling on, things so in our PLs that we do we don't include cup income we don't include player sales profits because it's speculative yeah so that's just additional when it comes it's good but it's not expected it's a bonus yeah i guess the other thing that that that, uh, again actually i'd say it's been noticeable recently when we have recruited players recently we've been giving them two-year contracts primarily two two and a half year deals that actually books a trend for the last few years where we've been, you know, 90% recruits have been one-year contracts that, you know, are in and out. Um, is that also, uh, um, sometimes the, the, the player and the agent will have the negotiation, um, you know, they'll have strength in that negotiation to, to get the terms they want, we understand, but rewarding players with longer contracts so that they become part of the structure of the club and you can therefore hold out to monetise when you're selling them. Presumably that's something that we're going to need to look at as well. Yeah, I think there's there's a, there's a big area of debate though with young players um, as well, and I, I I'm I'm speaking from a perspective of I've not negotiated any contracts for uh, graduates to professional contracts yet because we've obviously been in for three months. Yeah, sometimes it's not the best thing that you might be giving a player a big contract for two years. Um, the most impressive uh, director of football that I know actually um, in his, in his son's first professional contract said, don't pay him too much. That's going some Mm. more often than not, you know, you probably have parents with, or an agent. Um, My, my experience is that I think there's, there's more development, shall we say, in terms of advice academy players can be given. Um, Because I've, I've so far seen, one or two areas of really bad advice to young players at Oldham Athletic um, that that's not been helpful to their careers. Right, okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the days of your dad picking up reserve or 18 players from Everton, Leeds or City for peanuts. And it's Benetton, gone. Gone, can't do it anymore because, that, that, yeah. of course, you know, you've got, you've got young kids that in Championship Academies, probably League One Academies, earning... Probably the same as our this first is, team players are. This know? is the thing, isn't it? Since, since those days, football has changed oh, yeah. massively. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and our club, unfortunately, has lost its way over that period of time. And we're further away than Bromley in, in some areas and, and other clubs. And that's just the exception of where that we have to we accept where we are. It sounds now, though, at least three months in, that there is a plan. <laughs> We've asked a lot of questions, Andy. We're, we're pushed for time now. We're going to have to wrap it up. But... Um, you know, we spoke with we spoke with Carl Evans before a couple of times. Yeah. You know, we didn't go into anywhere near this level of depth in terms of what was what was available. We you know we never got to speak to Abdallah, we never got to speak to more. But we knew that the we, we, you know you, you've highlighted in, 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 in what actually been put in place, what wasn't being put in place. You've highlighted when it comes to sell on clauses that the club was living hand to mouth, yeah. just desperately trying to keep, you know, Simon Corney doing deals here, doing this here, trying to keep the club going. It is what it is. It's, it, those days are gone now. But the reality is, is that the club is now rebuilding, and we're rebuilding from 
the bottom of the professional football structure up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's been really interesting. I've really enjoyed. I've enjoyed listening to you two talking and you asking the questions and you answering. Well, them. I mean, it's been it, really interesting. There's a million more questions. Oh, lots, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and lots of. The, but like you see, three months in. Uh, sounds like you've you've. I mean, it's five to eight on a on a Wednesday night now. Do you? I, how much time is it taking at the minute in your working life? What's your work life balance like at the minute? Yeah, it, it, as as I said before, it's an obligation. This so we we're, we're all doing what it takes. Um, we've got a you know I'm I'm discussing with the board later on tonight about a player, um, so doesn't stop but it's i think if you can get to a point in life where you're doing things that are good for a greater cause and it's enjoyable then you're a lucky person and you know we all class ourselves as lucky people to be um working with the football club so it's it's not really something that comes into our minds we're going to do what it takes yeah Good swear, mate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been it's been great chatting to you. Time's flown, isn't it? Um, I've got I have I have literally got fifty questions. We've probably asked you about fifteen. Uh, so and there'll be more to add to the list it, next time we speak be, to you. So. <laughs> so it will be great to do this again. Um, you know, at various points throughout the next year, two years, with other people that may be worth talking to as well. At various points, whether that's a member of the Rothwell family, another board director. David Unsworth, Definitely. people in the academy, whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, this is the start, hopefully, of a, a few of these. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for the yeah, invite. Thanks, Darren. No, it's been a pleasure. Thanks very much. The Boundary Park Alert System is hosted and produced weekly by Matt Dean, Andy Halliwell and Dave Bradley for QPod Productions. A huge thank you goes to all those people who already subscribe to the podcast. We appreciate you all and thank you for helping us out. If you'd like to help us out, please visit oafcpodcast.co.uk and click support or find the link in the show notes. It's only $2.99 a month and we'll draw a subscriber at random every month to win an autumn athletic shirt of your choice. Please follow and interact with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok at OAFC Podcast and subscribe to youtube.com forward slash the Boundary Park Alert System where you will find the Latics Football Forney with myself and Dave Bradley live every Wednesday from 8.30 till 9.30pm. We'd like to thank Arlene Finnegan for writing our excellent weekly blog which we encourage you to read on our website every Saturday morning. Thanks also go to Paul Prentagast for providing us with all the Latics Man questions. The title music for the show is by Manchester DJ and producer Starion and for more information visit bandcamp.com forward slash red laser records. You can help change the game by listening to us on the Fan Hub app along with all major podcast platforms but please like subscribe and review the pod to help us climb the rankings and to gain more listeners oasf.co.uk and pushtheboundary.co.uk are where you'll find out more information about our official fsa affiliated supporter groups and continue to raise money for the 1895 fund thank you for listening and if you'd like to be a guest or contribute to the show we'd love to hear from you 